This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. A federal judge limited the government's ability to supervise social media content after it was alleged that the government had shut down dissent about COVID policy. And one of the people that was affected by this was Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, one of the most brilliant men in the world, professor of medicine at Stanford University, research associate at the um, with the National Bureau of Economics Research. He's got a resume too long to list in all four hours. He's both an MD and a PhD, a brilliant man and a guy who at the height of the covid pandemic was saying something a little bit different than you were hearing from folks like Anthony Fauci and other entities within the government. Dr. Bhattacharya, it's great to talk to you again. It's been way too long. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, for not censoring me during the pandemic. Really been uh, an honor to talk with you. The, the honor is all mine, believe me. Now, uh, give folks a little bit of uh, uh, some background. You were a plaintiff, one of the plaintiffs in this case, how exactly were were you censored? So uh, just to, uh, to give you an example, uh, in 2021, March of 2021, I participated in a policy roundtable hosted by Governor DeSantis in Florida. And in this roundtable, he asked me whether there was any high quality evidence that uh, that masking children as young as two actually had any effect whatsoever on the spread of COVID. And I'd done my homework. I'd like looked this up. And the answer is no, there are no randomized studies at all of whether masking has any effect of uh, masking children has any effect on, on spreading disease. I told him this, uh, there was a, a TV station that was filming this and they put this uh, film of a sitting governor of Florida receiving advice from his scientific advisors on which he's going to make decisions to the public, you know, something like I would think people would like good government would want. Uh, they put this on YouTube and uh, YouTube then censored the video of that, of me talking to the governor of Florida on a, on a fundamental scientific policy question that, that uh, a lot that affected the, the lives of countless children and countless parents uh, who were deciding whether it was wise or not to mask up their you know, toddlers. Um, this happened over and over again, Frank, during the pandemic. You could state true facts about the sci- about what the scientific literature was saying, and then you would you would get suppressed. You would get uh, a, a black mark put on you. I was put on a Twitter blacklist the day I joined Twitter. It turns out, uh, which made it so that my tweets would only be seen by a limited number of people. Um, the question is, why? Well, by the way, was that known to you at the time? No, not I didn't know that until Elon Musk bought Twitter, you know, in, in 2020, late sure. 2022. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, I, I, the, the, what the importance for me of this Missouri versus Biden case, or one of the pieces important, why it's so important to me is that it revealed that it wasn't just an accident that these things were happening. It wasn't just these social media companies decided on their own that, to suppress scientific discussion. No, Frank, what happened was that the U.S. government told it what to suppress 
food is suppressed in many cases uh, and threatened the viability of these companies in terms of, of you know, regulatory action by the U.S. government if they didn't comply. What happened was direct censorship of scientific discussion during the pandemic to create an illusion of consensus in favor of government policies, many of which were wrongheaded, many of which caused tremendous harm. Now, it's no secret that I'm completely in agreement with your position on this. And I I find in general the kind of the merging of government power with private sector power like these big tech companies incredibly troubling, almost Orwellian. But let me play devil's advocate. The government would be saying, look, we're just meeting with these big tech companies every two weeks. Uh, when it, Whenever they say biweekly, I never know if it's every two weeks or twice a week, but we're meeting with them in a biweekly basis and we're just giving them the facts as we know them. We're not forcing them to censor anyone. That's their decision. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with the government exercising or officials within the government exercising their freedom of speech to tell these big tech company honchos that um, what people like you were saying is full of bunk. Right. So, so a couple of things. So one is they weren't just doing that. They were, they were backing it up with direct threats of regulatory action if they didn't comply with the, with the demands. So there are emails from, aides to the pres- President Biden, to people on Facebook, Twitter, and so on, uh, essentially saying that, look, if you don't, you, you don't do this, we're going we're gonna to go after you. So it's not, just, it's not just like a request. It's not just information. It was a threat. Um, the second thing, um, they, they, were, they weren't, if, if you're asking, like, can the government f- speak freely? You know, they have the bully pulpit, Frank. Uh, President Biden got up and said that if you don't censor, if you if you allow, you know, these 12, there's a bunch of 12, like 12, 12 people they identified as like particularly bad misinformation spreaders. If you allow, you know, he got up and said, if you don't, if you allow this kind of stuff on your platforms, you're killing people. So they had that bully pulpit, whether and Missouri, this, this Missouri versus Biden case, it doesn't stop them from having that. They can issue government reports. They can issue. They can say, you know, the, the, we agree with this these scientists and not all these other scientists. They're free to do that. They're the government. The First Amendment doesn't uh, protect the government's free speech. What it does is it protects the people's free speech from the power of the government suppressing it. How can the people suppress the government from speaking? They just we don't have the power to do it. As far as as you understand it, what is the next step in the appellate process? I know the uh, Biden administration has indicated they're they're appealing. When's the next time we'll hear something on this? Well, we just heard from the the, the federal judge that uh, that decided the case. He 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 has to he he had to decide on an appeal decision to stay the preliminary mm-hmm. injunction against, uh, and uh, he decided in our favor. It's now sitting at the Fifth Circuit. I suspect within a week or two or three, we'll hear uh, whether the Fifth Circuit agrees with the judge and us that the government doesn't have the right to violate free speech rights of Americans, or if it agrees with the government who thinks that if it doesn't, if it can't violate the First Amendment, somehow people's uh, safety is, is going to be harmed. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, how this goes. Do you think that with Elon Musk now controlling Twitter and some of the changes that he's already made and indicated that he'd like to make in the future, 
that the cause of free speech in the social media sphere is going to be strengthened? Or do you think the the strength of other companies like uh, Meta, Google and so forth, that is still such a a pro-censorship regime at those companies that it really doesn't matter what Elon Musk does? I, I think free speech is one of those things where it just takes one, right? If you have a if you have a platform that's actually free, um, you can have a hundred platforms that are like essentially government mouthpieces, and people will listen to the free platform because they really want they want a, a, an actual debate, they want actual discussion. I, I think it's tremendously important what Elon Musk has done. It, it's it's basically told the government to go take a flying leap, um, so that. People can speak freely without having to worry about being, you know, the thumb thumb of the government saying, "Well, you can't say that." Um, you know, it's not like free speech means everything that's said on Twitter is true. I mean, very far from that, right? Um, but but it, what does mean is that people are free to say things, and they also get people are free to correct people, other people when they say wrong things. That's how it's always been in the United States, right? That's how that's kind of sort of a founding civic religion of the United States. Um, I, I'm really shocked that. This is an issue at all. I'm surprised that the Biden administration um, did this. In, in a sense, it's it's so antithetical to the uh, the best traditions of of of, 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 of American governance. Let's say somebody says, not you, because I think through the prism of hindsight, the things that you were saying during the pandemic have certainly been borne out. But let's say someone is on one of these social media platforms and they're saying something that is blatantly untrue and potentially potentially dangerous. I mean, what comes to mind is the uh, some things regarding the Pizzagate uh, scandal and things of that nature. Or let's say somebody says something silly that's factually inaccurate, like uh, birds aren't real. These are actually drones sent by the government to spy on you. Should the government have the ability to speak with the entities that are housing these tweets or these Facebook updates and say, by the way, you have a whole bunch of people on your platform that are peddling information that's simply inaccurate? So a couple of things about that. So one is that um, the danger is that the government would use that power to suppress criticism of its own misinformation. Sure. That actually happened during the pandemic, right? You know, so, for instance, the idea that if you get COVID and recover, you have substantial immunity. The government put out misinformation that that, that wasn't true and, and used its power to suppress criticism of that misinformation. Like if you wrote that on Twitter, you could get you know, blocked or whatever. Um, uh, so that, that's one thing. The second thing is, I mean, like fundamentally, Frank, the issue is one of trust. If you have a government that's trustworthy, then it could say, no, no, these aren't these aren't uh, these birds are actually drones and everyone would believe them because they're trustworthy. When you have a government that suppresses and censors the way the American government has, you destroy trust in it. Censorship is something that governments do when they're no longer trustworthy. And. That's what's happened here is that, is that uh, the, the American government lost control of the narrative because American government put out lie after lie after lie on COVID lies about the efficacy of masking lies about the usefulness of the vaccine to prevent you from getting the disease. You know, tons of people have gotten vaccinated, have gotten the disease. I, I did um, lies about the efficacy of, of immunity after COVID of recovery, you know, natural immunity uh, lie after lies about the necessity of lockdowns, the harms of school closures on topic after topic in COVID, the government got it wrong 
and they use their power to censor criticism of the government. Um, no wonder they can't just say the truth. People don't believe them because they're not trustworthy. The solution to that isn't censorship. The, tr- the solution to that is to become trustworthy. This is the first time that we've uh, spoken since Anthony Fauci has been a private citizen. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about his legacy as uh, the head of the National Institute of uh, uh, Infectious and, uh, Diseases for you know decades now. As far as you're concerned, what do you think Anthony Fauci's legacy to the country and to history is? Well, I think I think people will look back at, at his leadership on HIV and other things, and I think most for the most part, I think people will look back somewhat positive. Although people do have criticisms of him, um, I think they'll look back at his at his leadership on COVID and think of it as a as a complete and utter disaster. That he led the country down a path that led to catastrophic harm to American school children, that did not protect the elderly from COVID, and then. And this is the probably will most likely be his ultimate legacy if it turns out to be right. If, in fact, this virus was was uh, this pandemic was caused by a virus that was a result of scientific experiments that Tony Fauci's NIAID supported, people remember him as as not just the author of the lockdowns, but also the author of the pandemic. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly looking more and more like that's the case. Dr. Bhattacharya, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the uh, lawsuit. Please keep us posted, not only on this, but everything else you're up to. Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. Thank you for throughout the pandemic letting me have a voice. No, it's uh, my pleasure. Our audience is fortunate enough that you were kind enough to come on with me. Thank you. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, you can uh, check him out on Twitter. He is on Twitter. I just uh, tweeted at him so you could follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano, and I uh, tagged him in a tweet and uh, uncensored.